Good morning and Merry Christmas. As you're coming in, please turn in your hymnals to hymn number 208. That is 208. Oh, come all ye faithful. Let us sing carols to our Lord. Let me open us in prayer before we're seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to worship, to gather together as your children, gathered in your covenant as you've called us. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts and minds this morning. Bless us as we hear the word, as we open our hearts to sing and our mouths to give praise to you. Let it all be done for your praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated, and if you've got a bulletin, 
Uh, we want you to follow along this morning. There'll be a few changes. Let me apologize up front. We've had to adjust a few things so that we can have the music and choir up here helping us, and then at one point transition for the men to come up and lead us for the special and, and back around. So we've changed a few things, but we'll, we'll lead you right through it as we go. Uh, but we just want you to enjoy the worship, plug in. If you're here visiting with us, uh, we're glad that you're here. We're glad you chose to be here. Um, we want you to follow along in worship. If you'll just follow the songs, the readings, the confession of your visit. If you're a first-time visitor, uh, we'd love for you to fill out one of the guest cards that's there in the pews. They're there that you can fill out the information. Uh, let us know how to contact you if you're willing. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to contact you and follow up and to see if there's a way that we can minister to your family as well this Christmas season. Um, but other than that, we invite you to be a part. If you'll turn over onto the inside of the bulletin, you'll see the announcements. There are several there and several upcoming events. And uh, we want you to be a part of all of those events as they pertain to you. You'll see during the Christmas season, there are several things. Uh, but we do invite you to plan ahead for our Christmas Eve service. Uh, it will be on the Christmas Eve and we will have a candlelight, and there'll be readings and singing. And if you've never been a part of it, of the, the carols and the readings, we invite you to come and be a part of that as well. And then also, several have still asked, are we doing the, the potluck the last Sunday? Yes, that is still on. If you're in town and you're here, and uh, after worship, we will not have Sunday school. It'll just be a potluck. Bring what you want, fellowship together. And those of us who don't have family out of town or are not traveling, we'll stay here and fellowship and encourage one another as the new year approaches. And so there are several things. We, I won't go through all of them. We invite you to be a part of any and all those that you can uh, as the season goes forward. We always have our kids and our youth program on Sunday nights. Um, and so we encourage you, if you have anyone, I believe, down to about age, is it three or four, that we're actually age four, all the way through high school, if you want to come on Sunday nights, we have our our Grace Kids and Grace Youth programs that we want you to be a part of. It's a great way to plug in, get to know and hear the message of Scripture and also fellowship with others. So we encourage you to be a part of that as well. But let me take a moment and call us to worship uh, this morning. If you would, stand with me and we'll prepare our hearts to sing together uh, before we continue through worship this morning. As we continue in our Advent time together in the candle readings, we'll share each week as we go. Um, but let me call us to worship from Revelation 4. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's just bring him the praise and glory as we sing together. Comfort, comfort ye my people.
be seated, and we'll take just a moment this morning as we continue in our Advent season. Uh, each week, we said we would invite, we tried this year, someone from our green team. If you're visiting with us, those are those who take care of all 25-some acres of our land on the outside, and Danny is one of those that is on the green team. His wife, Frances, also helps with our Sunday school and overseeing that, and so I've invited them this morning if Danny and Francis Sutherland would come and, and read and, and light our candles before David comes. As we continue our Advent season and the lighting of the candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, we are drawing closer to the time when we recall Jesus' birth as well as his second coming. May the Lord use this season to draw you and your family closer to him. Today, as we light the candle of hope, we are reminded to trust that Jesus is our only hope. This morning, we also light the candle of peace. Isaiah 9-6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my, key, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It is our prayer through this season you will trust that Jesus is our peace. Let's go before the Lord of peace in confession of sin this morning. Let's pray together. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Hear the assurance of pardon that the Lord gives, the grace and mercy that he has promised to us when we do confess our sins. And this is from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the assurance that comes from that, brothers and sisters, by the command of Christ and the power of his promises, you are forgiven. Let us pray. Father, we do come in this special time of year reflecting upon your grace and mercy and your peace that you give us in Jesus Christ, that you are the God of all peace, and that in Christ Jesus, our Lord, we have peace with you because he has satisfied your divine justice, your wrath, he has upheld your holiness by being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That he is the gift of peace to us and to the world and to all who will come to him. They will find peace in their souls. They will find peace with you. That we can stand before your throne of judgment. And on the day of judgment, because of the peace of the Lamb, of the Son of God, and that we have peace with you, 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, Father, this is good news to us sinners, to us who know, Father, who are humble and contrite and know that we have sinned in thoughts and words and deeds. Even this day and this past week and in these moments, we have wandered in our thoughts. We have turned away from you. But how we thank you that the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, has reconciled us with you by his perfect sacrifice, received by faith in him and what he has done for us. So we, Father, as believers, as Christians, truly rejoice in this season of the year for the Prince of Peace who has come, the Lord Jesus. And Father, even in our trials and troubles of this life and sufferings, we still have the peace that passes all understanding because you will never leave us nor forsake us on beds of sickness and illness. As we've gone through surgeries and troubles, that you have been there with us. You have guided the doctors and the surgeons' hands. You are the great physician, and we pray, Father, for those who are going and experiencing through difficulties and trials this day in our congregation. We pray, Father, for your peace and comfort to be with them to encourage them that they might cling to the precious promises that are in your holy word, that you will not leave us nor forsake us, that you care for us, that Jesus, our big brother, will not leave us but is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you, Father, that you're always with us to encourage us and strengthen us. We pray as well, Father, for our nation we pray for revival in this land uh, from sea to shining sea that there would be a great outpouring of repentance and turning from sin by the power of your Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this land. We pray for the faithful preaching of pastors. Bless uh, Jerry as he brings the message this morning that by the unction of your spirit, we pray, Father, your anointing and blessing upon him as he brings the word this morning. And we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you and that we might go out from this place to serve you and to honor you and to love our neighbors as ourselves by your grace and your power. How we thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer to bow our heads, to come together corporately as the body of Christ and to lift up one another in prayer. Prayers spoken aloud from the pulpit this morning as well as quietly in our pews this morning that you hear us for we come in the name of the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son and our one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we continue to pray together as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen.
Remain standing as we use the Nicene Creed to reaffirm our faith this morning. You can find it on page 846 in the back of your hymnals, the Nicene Creed, 846. Christian, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Main standing for we sing the song of Emmanuel.
Amen. You may be seated, and what a blessing. We want to definitely say thanks. Uh, we always try to uh, recognize those who are helping us, and the music team is always a blessing. And if you enjoyed having the men's chorus this morning, say amen. Yeah. What a blessing uh, to have them come. And thanks, Carl, and all the men. And if you want to be a part of that, please uh, let us know so you can join in. We're working through Mark, and what a fitting way to enter into preparing him room, because we're doing the second part. You guys voted last week to allow me to do it in a two-part service, and uh, so I'm going to be faithful to that and uh, finish up on what is actually inviting the outsiders in. You must keep in mind, if you're one of those keeping links to the story, if you go back to chapter 7 and verse 14 in some of the Bibles, we're reminded that Jesus is addressing the heart of mankind. And when we talk about letting outsiders in, we're talking about not just others, we're talking about you and me. And what a time for a season of hope, peace, joy, and love. What a time about preparing room. Folks, don't look at it as stories about what other people need to do. And don't look at it as opportunities to tell what others may have to do. Realize that Mark this morning takes a story and prepares it for you and I. It's a special story here in Mark chapter 7. It picks up in verse 31. It's actually the second part of Mark's story about the Gentiles being brought in to the kingdom of God. In a time in which the Messiah would be here, at a time in which he was promised from beforehand, and this morning, I want to try to make the connection for you so that you can see just how clear Mark is that the Messiah has come, the king has come, the kingdom is present, and everyone has a chance to be changed. It would be my prayer this morning that maybe if you're here, it might be you or someone in your family that you realize this is the time we just need to be changed. The time has come to enter in. Listen to what it says, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. This is right after he had just healed the Syrophoenician's daughter. The story picks up in the same region. Again, he left the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment because many of you probably don't know the geography. Remember, the story picks up in Jesus obviously and intentionally moving up into Gentile territory. We are moving from Tyre, which is way north, and we're going way up to Sidon and then all the way back down to the Sea of Galilee. Now, why is that important? Tyre and, Sire, and Sidon are the cities even today in Lebanon. And I want you to remember that. Those cities up in Lebanon and journeying down and how he's ministering to these pagan cities that brought idol worship and he's healed a woman, and now the story picks up. He's now journeyed through that region, up intentionally even farther of Lebanon, down into now what is the sea. We don't know about where in this journey, but that's where he takes us. And within this region of Decapolis, the cities, and they brought up to him one who was deaf and had difficulty speaking, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. 
And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephphathah. That is, he translates it into Greek for us from the Aramaic, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began to speak plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even those who are deaf hear, those who are unable to talk, speak. Now, I know the story focuses with Mark looking at this individual, but I want you to realize in the Greek text as it sits many times in its neuter plural aspects, it gives us the idea of understanding that it wasn't just for one individual person. Mark is writing us a story that takes place in a Gentile, very pagan region, and it's somewhere along the line he's bringing these Gentiles in, and then he makes an analogy and a comparison just like he did the Syrophoenician women to the Pharisees, the elders, and compares them. Listen how the story unfolds. First, let me remind you that this man who has a, this deaf and a speech impediment can be several different things in the Greek. I'm going to be honest. You may have a translation that calls it an impediment or a slurred words or murmuring. These are all words within the Greek that are there, but it seems clear as we f- go further through the text that there is this impediment of speech where he cannot speak clearly. The words that he mumbles or the gestures that he makes or the sounds that come out are intelligible, unintelligible, and are unable to be understood. They bring this man to Jesus, and I would say as he traveled through the region of Sidon and this Gentile, because we're told what kind of person he was, this man probably followed for a while as the crowds were gathering and they saw him healing different people. They finally bring this one who cannot speak or hear. Now, why is this a special story of all the places? Well, I don't know, but I will tell you this. We'll go through it in a minute, but it's told only in Mark of all the Gospels. Of all the stories of the healing and the things that go on, of all the comparisons that you can make with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what is known as the synoptic Gospels, it's the word we use that means they see things similarly, synopsis, the Gospel, they see it the same. This is the only story recorded. In the little writings of Mark, he somehow sees the need for us to not lose sight of this special man who was unable to speak or to hear, and was specially touched by Jesus. Now, why is this story so important to Mark? Maybe the words will unfold the story for us to realize it isn't just a story about one man. It's a story in a relationship that can be applied to many of those who have been following and listening, and to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees even, or the elders and the scribes, those who have been all their lives unable to hear the truth, Unable to speak that which is intelligible about the kingdom of God. Unable to see the work that was being accomplished by Christ. And this one person set aside by Jesus, and he uses an understanding of a special way where many would say he would spit out onto his finger and then take and touch his tongue. 
only in Mark. And why do we get the story? This difficulty speaking comes from this word, if you wish, mogalelos. It's the word that is only used in Mark. And catch this, it is only used one other time in the entire Bible. And it's in the Septuagint, the Greek rendering of the Old Testament back in Isaiah 35. Turn back there, put your finger there, we'll need it in a minute. Because to understand the importance of what Mark is trying to convey to us about this one who has come, who is walking the shores of Galilee, who is now the kingdom and the gates that have been opened, who is now healing, curing, casting out, and changing the lives of everybody he's around, is now taking one individual and Mark is connecting it to all of history. Why did Mark not just blow over this story? You could go back to Isaiah 35 with me and realize that this word that is translated only here in the scriptures, in the Greek rendering of the Old Testament, it's in chapter 35 of Isaiah. Now let me preface this, it comes right after the two chapters of judgment. It comes right after the writings of Isaiah when the wrath is being preached out against the nations for all that they have done against the Lord. The judgment of God that is going to come upon his people. And chapter 35 becomes this end of the first section, if you wish, of Isaiah, where hope is being preached in the day of the Lord when the Messiah would come. Think about this. Think about Lebanon. Think about Tyre and Sidon. In Lebanon, the country, the paganism that was brought in, the Gentiles and where they lived, those that were considered outcast. And Jesus is reaching out to them now in the book of Mark. But Mark ties it back to the one instance in the Old Testament. And listen to chapter 35 of Isaiah. Zion's future with a Messiah or a Christ. The wilderness and the desert will rejoice, and the desert will shout for joy and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with joy and jubilation. Now catch this. And the glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God, strengthen and exhausted and make the feeble strong. Say to those who are anxious in heart, take courage and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come, but he will save you. And catch this, in the place of Lebanon, we are told... Those who limp will leap like a deer, and the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy. Verse 6, and the waters will burst forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. Mark is tying us back to this understanding of a promise that was made from the beginning to those that were belonging to the covenant, and now it's being included to those who are outside the covenant. Mark is tying it to the Gentile world, saying this Messiah that was promised to save his people is also coming to save you. He's also going to allow all of you to come in. It wasn't just intended for the Jew. It was always intended, just like the Syrophoenician women, just like she was the one that was cast out, a woman, a Gentile, a Greek. And yet now we get a more specific story of this man who was lame, 
or deaf and unable to speak. And Mark ties it right back to the promise of in the days of the Lord, in the place of Lebanon, there will be grace offered to those who cannot speak and they will be able to speak. There will be those that cannot walk and they will be able to leap. It is the fulfillment that Mark is saying to us that the Messiah is here. He has come. The days of the Lord are no longer waiting. We're no longer longing. You're here this morning. And we look backward at what Mark was trying to tell us into the presence, that the Messiah is here. And it wasn't just a story about the Messiah and him. It was the story about the Messiah and us. For anyone who is willing to come and to let Jesus work the miracle, it's an amazing story. The word that is actually there in the Greek is a word for the mysterious healings. Because for some reason it was this magical understanding that he could spit on his finger and touch the man's tongue. And he could speak. He said he could hear immediately. Could you imagine when he put his fingers into his ear? He probably didn't have to wait for it to be over to hear. He probably felt that touch and could hear every word Jesus said. Because it happened immediately. His ears were opened his mouth, he could speak and listen to the words that are used to us. In verse 34, listen to what he tells us as it unfolds. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh. That is the word only used. Used only in Mark 8, farther on in just another chapter in the feeding of the 4,000. When Jesus identifies with the hearts of the people, it's the great sigh. It's when he looks up to heaven and later on will use the same words of saying, Oh, ye generation, how much more will it take? How many more signs must I do? And how many more miracles must be completed before you will simply trust that I am he? That I am the one who can set you free. I am the one who can loose the chains that bind you. And you wonder where that comes from. Well, listen to the text of Mark as he reads this. As he goes down, he says this, he sighs as he looks up to heaven with a deep sigh, and he said to him, this epitheta, that is, be opened. He's grasping to a word of being open and an immediate change in a hearing that takes place where his ears can now hear, which used to be deaf. His mouth can now speak and have it clear, spoken straight. The word later is the word that we get when we're doing things that are straight. It's ortho. It means straight or plainly to hear something clearly or done right without obstacles. It's very similar to when James uses the word when he says, if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And that same word for resistance is used in the same term where we put braces on our mouth. Just as Mark uses the word ortho for orthodontics and making things straight, James uses the word for resistance, which is that same tension that they put that wire through your braces. And when they correct your teeth, if you've ever had this done before, they put these little brackets on your teeth and then they put a wire through those brackets and it feels like the wire is about that big around. And it's not. It starts out what? Very thin. Because just a little bit of resistance. Because if you're not careful and you push too hard, what do your teeth do? They'll push back. And James says there's got to be a right amount of resistance. 
There's got to be just enough where the devil realizes he's not going to push you around. But not so much that you think you're able to take him on and defeat him and do it yourself. It's the same terminology when we're putting things straight and being loosed and unchained. That's the word that is being used here. When he says to him, be opened, he's not just speaking about the man's mouth. and He's not just speaking about his ears. He's speaking to the man in general in this neuter plural sense in which he's saying to all of those who are listening, your life is chained, it's been hindered, and it's all confused until it's all been opened and set free. That's what Jesus is really saying. When he reaches out to touch them, I'll take you through the journey because he's speaking more to them this Gentile man, because he does the same to us today when so many of us do not hear the truths of Scripture spoken to us. And we have fallen completely before people deaf to anything the Word wants to say to us. In our minds, speak if you wish confusion, or you could even say deceitfulness in so many ways in our lives until the Holy Spirit touches us and opens us and sets us free. Now, how can I use that terminology? And how can I say that with Mark, just simply touching a man's ears and tongues means to set us free? Well, listen to what he says in verse 35 when he writes this down. He says, and his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue removed. That is the word desmos. The impediment of the tongue is the same word in Greek where the chains and the bonds of his tongue. He has been bound. There was something holding him back. There was something happening in his life. There was something controlling his hearing, his speaking, his ability. And he makes the comment to us in this Aramaic phrase, translating it into Greek, just be opened. And with one touch, an immediate change in his whole life, everybody sees, begins to bound endlessly with joy, ready to share the truth, ready for everybody to see. And Jesus even uses the command here in Scripture, not saying gently, please don't tell nobody. He commands him in the imperative and says, do not tell people. And yet the scripture tells us that when his chains of his tongue had been released, it was an immediate disobedience. And the more Jesus commanded them not to tell, the more they what? They told. And we're right back into the same old story where this man is able to speak now clearly Things have straightened out in his life. That's the ortho. He's now got things to where he knows the truth and he can speak the truth. The fear becomes this. Jesus doesn't want him to say anything too much because just like he told the Jews before and shared with others, Jesus doesn't want people coming to him thinking that salvation is just being healed. That salvation is just being able to walk when you couldn't. In other words, let me paraphrase it. Jesus didn't want us to think that salvation was just experiencing the miraculous and enjoying a life you never had before. There's more to salvation. There's more to what it takes, and that's why the Bible begins to embark on the same terms. When Look at what he says as he begins to unfold the story. When he says he gave them the orders not to tell anyone, but the more he did, the more widely they continued to proclaim. And look at verse 37. And they were utterly astonished. They were dumbfounded again. 
It was beyond belief. My soccer coach used to say, I told you years ago, we would do something crazy on the soccer field. And instead of saying something, it was a Christian school. I never heard him say one swear word, never derogatory. He never criticized anybody. But he was always sarcastic when something would happen. Soccer field, we would know, don't look at coach. Because he would be in his sarcastic mood. And his word, unbelievable, was like saying, I just can't believe that happened. I remember one time I've shared with you, the ball was punted, and at our age, that goes a long distance, and one of the defenders jumped up and headed the ball, and instead of heading it forward, he headed it backward, and it went to our goalie, and, and we stopped it, and I could hear coach go, unbelievable, and then he said this, at least we got one shot on goal. <laughs> he was always sarcastic about things, but that's the term that is used here, is what the people are saying is, this is incredible. It's unbelievable. It's astonishing. We all just saw that the things that were promised to the Jews in the early days of a Messiah, when the kingdom would come and the Lord would reign for his people, are now happening to those of us who aren't his people. We were the dogs. We were the ones who wanted the crumbs. We were the ones who were waiting to be fed at the same time. And it's now here. And our lives are being loosened. The bonds are being taken away. And our lives are being set free. I like how he says this. They were astonished. Why? Because he does all things well. Could you think of a time in scripture when Jesus did anything poorly? Could you think of a time in any of his ministry in which he failed to accomplish that which his father asked him to do? Do you see, it's the people that we would least expect to understand the truth, who have now had their eyes opened and their hearts changed, and the reality realized that this is the person, and they're coming to him when his own people should have. And all of a sudden we realize it takes much, much more than enthusiasm or astonishment to be a follower of Jesus. We realize now that what Jesus has done was well. It was perfect. It was planned. He accomplished it all. And it wasn't just with this man. And it wasn't just with the Syrophoenician women. And it wasn't just with the one who needed to be healed. And it wasn't just the demon that was cast out. It was the perfection of a ministry that went all the way to the cross, to the grave, and beyond. Can you think of any time in which something had failed, in which he wasn't able to save? Oh, this is the beginning of those outsiders coming in. And this morning, I remind you, we are those outsiders. We are those ones whose hearts need to be touched. And for many of us, our mouths need to be touched. For how many of us have still never proclaimed the truth to another person? have never explained the gospel to your neighbor based on Christ and his obedience was given to you. You know, it could sound awful harsh, but it would almost sound like for some of us, we're the one who's dumb. We're the ones who aren't speaking clearly and we're the ones that need to be set free. 
because we're relying on everybody else. It's the minister's job. It's the church's job. It's the evangelist's job. It's somebody else's job. It's the ones who believe in Jesus that can tell the truth. And yet we're the ones who have been changed. We're the ones who have been touched. We're the ones whose lives have been chosen by Jesus Christ. And yet for many of us, Jesus would never even have to say, be quiet. Because yet we have yet to this day ever spoken a word of salvation to another lost person. And all of a sudden we realize that this analogy of all things done well is a reference back to Genesis and his creator. And I'm sure you understand how it can be but if you remember when God finished as the father in the work of creation, he finished creation and said it was what? Good. And yet Christ in the work of redemption, when he finished, we're told it was good. Even so much so that before the work ever began, it wasn't based on the obedience of Jesus Christ. He loved his son before he ever came. The love that God has for you is no different than the love he has for his son. And the love that he's graced upon you is no different than that which belongs to his son. Jesus didn't earn the Father's love. Jesus didn't accomplish it because of his great success. He didn't only get it because he made it to the grave and beyond. Do you know why the Father loved him? Because he loved him. And you know how we know that? It's because before the journey ever started, before he was ever crucified, mocked, scorned, and ridiculed, before he ever went to the grave, before he ever accomplished the salvation, Matthew tells us in the very beginning that when the heavens opened, he simply said, this is my beloved son in whom I am what? well placed oh please don't leave this morning thinking that it's only when we accomplish what's set before us that God loves us and if you're here this morning and you realize you have been one that is termed the dumb, the one who's not speaking intelligibly, every time you're around somebody, every time you have the opportunity, it's like Satan's got your tongue, somebody else steps in, or you don't even hear the opportunity, you're deaf, you've turned an ear to those who are suffering and those who are hurting and those who've been outcast. And maybe this morning you realize that as Jesus has passed by, it's time to be touched. It's time to be changed. In Mark's words, it's time to have the bonds loosened so that you can speak intelligibly to others. Oh, the picture. Oh, Jesus didn't earn it by leaving the portals of heaven. Listen to what he really did in the Father's love. He accepted it according to our writings of Scripture. You can read the epistles that Paul gives us. We are told that he left the portals of heaven. And he came down to, if you wish, a wasteland of Lebanons, of people who rejected him and lived in our own pantheistic lifestyles of just accepting religious diversity and the worship of all kinds of things. He left those portals of heaven and he reached out to those Gentiles, lost sinners that needed to be saved. 
And yes, Jesus loosed the chains that bound us, opened our hearts, our ears, and our minds, and he changed us. In front of everybody, he changed you. No secrets, no mystery, the touch of the Holy Spirit. He took our sins to the cross. He traded places with us. He took our punishment, gave us his obedience. And he took what we deserved and gave us what the Father wanted to give him. And we stand today in places that we've traded with the king. And Mark writes, now we understand what it means to be loosed, to have the chains dropped, to be unbound, and to have the doors of heaven opened. And it would not happen without ever coming to Jesus Christ. It didn't happen by traveling through the towns. It didn't happen by getting close to his presence. It didn't happen by listening to certain sermons. It didn't happen by following the disciples. It only happened when Jesus reached out and changed him. This is my beloved son the same words I believe we'll hear when the gates of heaven are opened and the angels from on high descend and the dead in Christ shall rise and in the glory of the air in Revelation we are told the words we may hear this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased where are you? on the journey through Tyre and Sidon, and the following behind Jesus Christ. Have you been changed? Has your heart been opened? Do your ears hear the truth of Scripture? And does your mouth speak plainly, clearly, and boldly? about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Mark is simply saying to us, the kingdom has come. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. And Lebanon is now going to experience the glory in its presence. Because the Messiah is here to deliver us. Yes, you and me, this day, with the wonderful touch of Jesus. You might say, Pastor, what about all the things I've done? What about all the things I've said? If you only knew the places I have been, I remind you a specific story with the intentionality of leaving his people and journeying way into the depths of sin to gather the people to assure them that it only takes a touch to be completely changed and to be set free. It doesn't have to be Jesus in whom just the Father is well pleased. You too 
as dogs can become children by the simple eating of the bread of life, allowing Jesus Christ to fill you, which is what Mark 8 is all about, the feeding of the 4,000 to be changed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Mark makes it so clear that he sees the truth. He sees the fulfillment of prophecy. They're your words. It wasn't just one man. It wasn't just one woman. Father, you've reminded us that the promise of bringing all your children in is now taking place for Mark. And just as he has touched the life of this woman and touched the life of this man, so you change our lives as well. Forgive us, Father. Cleanse us. Set us free from the chains that have bound us for so long. Father, I pray for strength, for clarity. Lord, let us hear the truth of your words. Let them resound within our hearts. Let us hear them as we're being changed. And Lord, please touch our lips that we would be singing the praise to your glory wherever it is you have us. And Lord, not based on our obedience, but simply because we're your children, let us find the assurance that what Jesus has done, he's done all things well. And with us, you are well pleased. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand uh, with us here as we sing our closing hymn, you'll find it, if you wish, uh, on hymn number 203 in your hymn book. It's titled, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. Join with us as we praise him.
Receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.